Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast that board gamers in the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Well, Anthony, here we are, episode 246, talking about Eschenspiel, the hotness. It just wrapped up. Everything was super hot right across the sea. And we are bringing it to our audience to let everyone know what they should be looking at for the upcoming holiday season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were not personally there as we've yet to cross that one off our bucket list. But (laughs) thankfully, we have this wonderful invention where all the other people who were there tell us what they liked. And we can we can collate that and pull from it and gather from it and ask people what they were playing and buying and everything and put together a list of some of the hottest games that were released there. And I've, I've kind of culled out anything that was already released here in the States or that came through on Kickstarter just because that stuff, you know, we've already talked about it a bunch. But a lot of good stuff, a lot of new stuff and several things that have already been on my personal acquisition disorder list and at least a couple that are on there now, today and next week. So uh, it'll be fun. This sounds great. And, you know, if you are going to Essen next year and you have some space in your suitcase, I think... Anthony and I would be up to kind of squeezing into a, you know, transatlantic flight, pitching in in a like three small guys in a giant oversized hat and trench coat to kind of get us into the convention. We we'd be up for that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Literally anything. (laughs) I want to go. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely on the bucket list. It definitely will happen at some point. I really love to get out there. And from what I hear... It's much cheaper than going out to Gen Con, and that doesn't make a lot of sense, but this is what I hear. So someday, someday that will happen for sure. But that will happen in the future, and also our feature review will happen in a little bit, but we want to tell you about some of the great things that's happening with BGA. We just wrapped up our Extra Life event this past Friday at Ocean County College. I really would like to thank everybody out there for their great support of the event. It was fantastic. We had so much great things out there. We had Microsoft out there running their Xbox clinic. We had a huge room for laptop computers, gaming computers. We had two vendors running different escape rooms, including Ocean County Library and also East Coast Escape Room. We had Control Arcade V that was running their virtual reality games throughout the day. We also had our Makers Club running their virtual reality games throughout the day. We had East Coast Gamers running a bunch of different miniatures games throughout the day, X-Wing, Dust, and they were running some board games as well. And obviously, BGA, we were running our board games there for the entire event. We got some great donations from a lot of companies, including iPlay America in New Jersey. And it was just a tremendous event, a lot of good spirits, a lot of money raised for children's specialized hospitals. Uh, Anthony and I have been doing this type of work over the last several years to help children get better and provide for their resources and needs. So overall, again, thank you so much. If you are still interested in donating, you do have time. Extra Life still takes money throughout the year. So If you'd like to join Team Ocean County College, you can still do so. Or if you'd just like to donate on your own, check out extralife.org. 
they're always looking to get more people gaming. It doesn't have to be specifically on that particular day, but they would love to have your support. All right, Anthony, so with that said, that's what's going on with BGA. It was an action-packed weekend, but let's go on to what's happening with our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week. Do you have any other hobbies beyond board games? And if so, do you combine the two in any way? So, like, what other things do you do besides games? This came up because I was at an event just a couple days ago, and I we kept finding ourselves talking about board games. And I was just thinking, like, what else do we do that we can talk <laughs> about that, <laughs> that won't bore everybody here who's not among the gamers? And, you know, it was it's always interesting because even people you know well, you don't realize they have these other hobbies. There's other hobbies other than board gaming? I mean, I, that's what they say. And I asked and some people answered. And so it seems like uh, there might be. I don't sounds know. Sounds made up to me, man. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. I'll I'll listen with extreme skeptical scowl on my face. Yeah. <laughs> Skepticism. It's, yeah. Right. I didn't believe it either. But what are you going to do? Um, all right. So Jan says horses. And, you know, she says it's more of a lifestyle, not really a hobby, as well as weaving. So she has not combined those things necessarily, although the horses play their own games with each other and with humans, which sounds okay. like a lot of fun. Tommy reads a lot of history and enjoys recreating anything that you know he reads. Um, so he says it's probably why he enjoys coin games, New Bedford, Zulus on the Ramparts, uh, Twilight Struggle, 1960. I would agree, probably. <laughs> That's why you like all those games. Amy mentions music, specifically playing in two classical style ensembles. Has not found any good way to combine the two hobbies yet, though. There are not a lot of great music board games. I will I will say that. Uh, we we have Michael says, when it's not summer in Phoenix, a.k.a. November, December, and January, I try to bake sourdough in between turns at the game table. So that sounds like fun. Nice. Um, John mentions his rocketry. It's the closest thing to combining would-be collecting space exploration-related games. Uh Michael mentions 3D printing, which I think we all know the link to board games there. <laughs> I don't know what came first there, the board games or the 3D printer, but it's I'm sure it's a magical marriage between the two. Chris mentions he produces audio dramas and podcasts, so sometimes he puts together soundscapes and effects to go with certain games, which sounds awesome. That's a really cool way to do that. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different hobbies out there. Obviously, people do so many different things. Self, you know, I've been a writer most of my life even before I was quote unquote, a writer, I've been writing things. So don't know that it necessarily crosses over with the hobby too much, except, you know, maybe I write some reviews every now and then they go on the website um, and that kind of stuff. But just in general, creating content, building things is just something I've done since I was like eight. And that's probably what I consider my main hobby. And that's why we have this podcast or, you know, why I'm on the podcast at least. So, yeah, it's kind of weird because I think I had a lot of hobbies before board gaming came around. And I think most people even recently have asked me about that, about what else do you do? And I'm like, huh, I remember, <laughs> I remember there used to be other things. I used to go places and see things and watch things and, I think you and I have talked about this a lot. Like I used to be a big sports fan and now I could not tell you practically anything about practically any team, practically anywhere. And that's just really weird because that used to be such a big part of my life. I I don't know. I mean, I guess if I was to look at my calendar or look at my photos, 
on my phone. I'm like, what else do I do? I guess it would be a lot of volunteer work, sometimes animal sanctuaries, difference in the world a little bit. But I guess beyond the charity, social justice, helping people out, save the world kind of thing, I think it still comes back around to board games. And obviously it's podcast too. I gotta I gotta remember we actually do a podcast too. So yeah, yeah podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing. All right. Well, it's it's kind of surprising that other people have hobbies. As far as I've seen in my life, the only other hobby I've seen around board gaming has been knitting. I I often tell this story that, you know, when you go out to game nights as a board gamer, it's always a little bit challenging because you never know if the business is going to allow you to stay long or stay late. And oftentimes, just purely by accident or by kismet, there tends to be a group of knitters, different groups of knitters, that always seem to be somewhat nearby. They're, they're the guardian angels of the board gamers because no one's going to kick out a bunch of older ladies with giant needles. So usually we have a little more carte blanche to play a lot longer than we normally would. So I am very thankful for that hobby. But uh, beyond that, yeah, it's, it's man, it's board gaming, man. It's just, it's just board gaming and other people have hobbies. It's, I don't know how they find the time. All right. So that's, what's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to get to the table because Board gaming tends to be our main hobby. Anthony, what do you have for us this week? All right. Yeah. So later we're going to talk about the, you know, the hotness games from Essen. And the one that's actually at the top of that list right now is The Magnificent. And that's, you know, going by the Geek Buzz list that BGG does. So this is a new game from Aporta Games and the designers who are behind Santa Maria, which is a game that came out a couple of years ago. And I won't say flew completely under the radar because they did have like a fairly successful Kickstarter after it came out, but it's not a game a lot of people have heard of, especially over here. Like I know every time I bring it out with any new people at all, none of them have seen it or heard of it. So this game, however, is a very different theme. Uh, It is about putting on a circus of types and it's got this very striking artwork from French artist Martin Motet. And it's just the, the cover is just very dark. There's this juggler, and dresses like a clown and like even just looking at the pictures of the components everything's dark but like with splashes of color it's it's unique it looks different from anything you'd expect the game itself is very much a euro game uh you will be kind of building out your camp of performers with polyominoes yeah so already i was interested in the game and and the way you do that is you will be taking dice from a central pool right the dice, you know, they'll be rolled ahead of time. You'll be choosing them based on the value. When you take it, the value that you use isn't just that die. It's the that die plus all the other dice of that color that you already have. And you'll use that strength to either build something, travel, or perform. So you'll every time you take an action, it'll be a little bit stronger than the last time you took that color of action, which is awesome. But you then have to pay at the end of your round for the highest valued dice color. So if you just go in one direction, you're like, I'm going to specialize in this one, then it's going to cost you a fortune pretty quickly. You have to diversify a little bit. Otherwise, it's going to cost too much. So that seems really interesting. There's also some other mechanics in terms of like these ringmaster cards and these different ways you're going to score points based on the requirements on the cards you pick up. It just seems like a really cool 
game with a unique theme. Uh, it has that, that kind of performance element that you see in some games like Coliseum or something. And I just really like the idea of the dice mechanic combined with, you know, the way you're building out your polyominoes. I liked the spatial element of Santa Maria a lot, and I'm interested to see uh, what these designers do with this one. So I don't know who, if anyone, is publishing this in the West. I don't even know if Santa Maria had a publisher out in the West or if it just kind of came here by import and then by a Kickstarter. But I'm going to keep my eye on it, and hopefully sometime in the next few months, it'll be something that we're able to pick up as well. So that is The Magnificent. Yeah, this is a very interesting look to the board game and it's almost a little bit off-putting i really you really have to take a close look at the box cover and a really close look of the interior artwork here because it's definitely very different and i like very different i'm I'm pro very different as you mentioned it looks very dark uh, and it definitely needs a u.s publisher because this just definitely needs time at the game table or at the game store because if it doesn't get that, I don't think that people are going to pick this game up just because it doesn't look like a traditional game. And it does look a little heavier than I think is average for most of the board games coming from this area. All right. So let me talk to you about, I, I think would be something quite the opposite. It's a Kickstarter that we talked about previously, but I want to come back for a couple of reasons. So the Kickstarter I'm talking about is Titan, Strip Mine Titan. In this exciting Euro game featuring a fabulous 3D board. So Anthony and I got to see a prototype of this way back when, I think at this point, a little bit more than a year ago. And this is being produced by Holy Grail Games. And it was a very striking board. So it's this very interesting, dynamic 3D board, the circular board where there's different layers from the top and to the bottom. And basically what you're doing out here is you're strip mining Titan. So you have your little base you'll set up and it's all these really wondrous 3D models pieces. And then you'll build, be building networks using pipes and using drones to be able to dig deeper and deeper to be able to pull out more of those resources that you need. And as you build out pipes, you'll be able to put more resources out there. And as the game claims itself, it's going to be somewhat of a challenging Euro game here. So network building, resource management, and generally worker placement game is everything that we're used to. But being that this board construction here is unique, didn't really need to be this 3D kind of setup here, but it looks great. It looks, it really, even in person, it looked fantastic, even in the prototype form. Now, this campaign was out there. And because it was so expensive, it just didn't back. And uh, I, I wanted to kind of bring this up to people again, because you may have backed this at one point, or you may have thought about it, but because of the high price, you backed off. Now, to their credit, Holy Grail Games listened to their backers and said, all right, so it is a little too expensive. Um, there's not so much we can do about that. But basically what they did was they unpacked what was pretty much everything in one box so that you could pick up the extras separately. So one of the extras was a fifth player. One of the extras was a solo variant that, that you could play with the game. And they also have another extra that was currently released that is kind of like this alien attack situation with these really kind of interesting, cute little aliens that kind of come into play. 
And it seems really fun and interesting, and it kind of gives the game a different feel to it. Now, again, this is an add-on to the game, so you don't have to pick this up. And I think as the campaign still continues, they'll bring up new things that you can pick up. Uh, it still remains a, a fairly expensive game, but I guess it, at this point, it's at a level that you would expect. Like we talked about, Tapestry was like around $90 and had a lot of plastic that was in the game. So Titan, currently, their minor level is going for $92 American. So if it's something you're interested in taking a look at, I would do so now because the campaign will wrap up on Tuesday, November 19th. So you still have some time to check this one out. Highly recommend checking it out. I think if you don't check this out, you're missing out. Whether or not you back it because of the price and the size of what the game box is going to be, completely understand that, but it's definitely worth a look. Yeah, this thing looks insane. And then like... I got a chance to at least see it and take some photographs of it at Gen Con this year. Uh, and we'd seen it previously, like you mentioned, but this was like the final, yeah. final prototype. And whew, it is huge and just really impressive looking. And then they say the way it folds down to it. I wasn't surprised by the initial price. I understand why people like balked at it because you don't know what this is. It's not an IP. There's nothing. There's no miniatures like jumping out at you. But it's there's a lot there so <laughs> i'll be interested to see hopefully it backs and people i know get it or have access to it so i can at least get a, a go yeah, at it I, again i really appreciate the fact that they unpacked the fifth player and the solo variant i know anthony the solo variants typically very mm -hmm. important to you and a lot of the gamers on every night's game night but it's typically for me something i never use so a lot of my games have these kind of automas in them and it's fine, but I got to be honest, I've never really used them. And it's it's just kind of a waste of money, especially in this kind of situation, or even the fifth player. Fifth player for these types of games is usually a death nail. I know you're not a fan of that. So I like the fact that you can pick some of your gaming experience here. All right, so that's everything that we want at the table. So if we're at the table, we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick them up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and enjoy them. Or if those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. Or every once in a while, the game is so bad that you reconsider the hobby that you have chosen and pick something else out. Like, because, you know, the game is just that bad that it wants you to go, go far, far away. All right, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. <laughs> I have uh, Marvel Champions, what? the card game. So this is the new LCG from Fantasy Flight. And I got a chance to play this back at Gen Con, like really quickly, not like a full run through the game, but enough to think, hey, this is pretty cool. I like it a lot. So I pre-ordered it, came in last week, and I got to play it a whole bunch over the weekend. So I feel comfortable coming back with my uh, general impression of the game. This is basically built on the system that we're familiar with from Nate French, who did Lord of the Rings, the living card game. And it's been upgraded and tweaked and adjusted so there's three designers now listed on it and this is now the second game that is iterated on that design with arkham horror the card game kind of doing a similar thing but in a narrative direction this game is definitely less narrative more mechanics more focused on the combat and the combos and actually just the card play itself and that's not necessarily a bad thing depending on what you're looking for because i think it fits the theme pretty well 
the gameplay itself. So if you're familiar with either of those other two games, this will sound fairly simple. But for those who don't know those games, here's how it runs. You have a deck that is based around a hero. So the game comes with five of those. You got Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, She-Hulk, Black Panther, and Iron Man. And they're going to release more of those in the future. So like, I think they've already announced Captain America is coming next month. And there's Miss Marvel coming in like a couple months after that. So they're going to have a bunch of heroes along with like the 15 or so cards that go with the hero. You also add in some basic cards with just like regular attacks everybody gets and a certain type of specialty. So there's like aggression, justice, leadership. You'll add those cards in as well. The starter decks, it's very simple. You just have like those three segments. Later, you can build your deck. Of course, it is a living card game and kind of choose which cards go in where and how they match up. So that's the basic idea. On your turn, you drop six cards. At the start, usually at six. The cards that you draw, however, will reference two possible states of the game. So you can be in your alter ego form or in your hero form. And that's just a card you have in front of you that you flip over. So as one of your actions every round, you can flip that card once. And you can go into hero mode where you do most of your damage. Or you can go into alter ego mode where you can heal yourself and access a few other abilities that maybe you couldn't normally access. And you can't be attacked by the villain, which is kind of cool. The flip side of that, though, is that if he doesn't attack you, he will scheme. And that is one of the two ways he wins. He either defeats one of the heroes or he schemes enough, builds up enough points on his scheme card to to win that way. So basically, you're off doing life stuff, ignoring the hero stuff, and he gets to you know accomplish his goals, whatever those might be. The mechanics of the game... You have a hand of cards, and each of them has a cost in the corner. You have to spend resources equal to that, right? Pretty simple. But the resources themselves are printed on the cards. So they've taken away the resources that you had in like Lord of the Rings, where you had to build those up on your different hero cards and then spend them. And you just match them based on the cards in your hand. So it's more like, you know, like a race for the galaxy almost now, where you might have a three cost card. You just have to find three resource icons in your hand. Most cards are worth one, but some of them can be worth up to three. You discard all those and you play your card. So finding ways to combo that together and use special abilities and leverage the different things that you have access to to get as many cards out and do as many cool things as you can on your turn is like the majority of the fun of this game because it's just every hand is like a little puzzle. You're trying to maximize the value of what you get out of it, which is really, really cool. The villains have a few different mechanics to them but the basic idea is you have a scheme out there it's going to add tokens to it every round based on the number of players so essentially if nothing else happened and you ignored it completely you'd have seven rounds but of course there are other things that will impact that they have an encounter deck you're going to draw things from that every round one per every player and those will add side schemes that either accelerate things or interrupt things it'll put uh, minions in front of you that you have to fight It'll make the villain stronger. Um, it does all sorts of stuff. There's treachery cards in there, similar to Lord of the Rings. It kind of usually just hit you in the, the gut a little bit. <laughs> um, and then the villain himself, he'll either attack you or he'll scheme. And how much he does will depend on, you know, all the different upgrades that have happened and, and what you've allowed to happen. So you have to kind of balance everything out and heal yourself just enough so that the villain can't kill you in one hit and keep the scheme down just enough so that he can't complete it in one go but at the same time, actually hit him, right? This is a combat 
thing. You're trying to defeat the, the, the boss. And how those things operate seems to change between them. So the base game comes with three. Um, there's the Rhino, which is 100% an intro scenario. It's not very exciting, <laughs> to be honest. You just attack him. He just attacks you back. He doesn't scheme for very much. It's, it's just kind of boring. I don't know. Um, the next one is Claw, which was much more interesting because you are mixing in different mechanics and trying different things. And the cool thing about the encounter deck, too, is that you have like the villain's main schemes and the things that he's trying to do. But then also you mix in some basic cards and usually one other mini deck of like sub things. So we had like the Masters of Evil was in the claw deck. So you fight the six or seven Masters of Evil, right? They come out as minions that you have to fight, which is really cool. It's just like an extra thing thrown in there. There's also nemesis cards that go along with each of the individual heroes, as well as obligation cards. And those are things that can come out of that encounter deck and mess up individual heroes that are at the table. Uh, That's a really cool mechanic as well. Um, And then the third villain in the set is a little bit harder. Uh, Had didn't really have a ton of trouble with Rhino, didn't really have a ton of trouble with Claw. I mean, I say not a ton. He was we almost died several times, but we still defeated it. the last one we had a lot more trouble with just trying to get our, <laughs> our heads around the mechanics of each of those heroes. I really, really enjoy this. It's refreshing to see Fantasy Flight release an entire game in a box and not, you know, 30% of what you need to actually enjoy it. You have all the materials you need to build four decks and there's five heroes. So you even have a little bit of variability in which you choose. You can play four players right out of the box you have three different villains you can go up against. And even once you defeat them, you can mix up their decks a little bit with all these other sub decks that you can mix in. I've never seen them release so much content that actually have some variability and that I could sit and play this like six or seven times over the weekend after it comes out. Usually it's boom, 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 it's done. Now I have to wait a month for them to release something new. So that was really cool. Uh, in terms of like the number of players that you're going to play this game at, it seems like it's probably ideal at two. Uh, and that's, Makes sense because Lord of the Rings was designed for two and Arkham was designed for one or two, even though both of those go up to four with two sets. That said, the four player game was perfectly fine and it does have a lot of opportunities to be cooperative and to share abilities. Like on someone else's turn, anybody can use an action that's available to use for that person um, to help them out. So you might say, hey, I really need this minion to go away so I can do this, this and this. Someone else could jump in, maybe do something about that and, you know, kind of help the thing along. I just, when this was first announced, I was kind of cynical about it. It seemed like a, like a quick cash grab, I guess the best way to put it, taking an old system and slapping Marvel on it. They've changed it enough though, and made it its own that I think it really works. My one thing that I was saying earlier this year that I'm still concerned about a little bit is there's really no narrative to the game. It, it definitely is leans more towards the Lord of the Rings side of things. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, the card game, you had these different encounters in, in the packs that came out and they were pretty standalone. Like you could get the saga expansions and you would go through the different story beats and there would be story elements in the individual packs. But they didn't really matter. Like it was really just, there's a puzzle, build a deck, figure it out, solve the puzzle. And this feels like it's going to be more of that where each villain's going to have a very unique flavor and 
format for how to tackle them. And you need to build a deck and come up with a strategy that's going to defeat them, which I really, really like about Lord of the Rings. And yet that game had, you know, its issues because it's older. It's the first version of this and it can be a little fiddly at times. This one seems a lot more streamlined in all those areas like combat. For people who just like Arkham, I don't know if you're going to like this or not. Like, I don't just like Arkham, so it's hard for me to say that. I like what Arkham does with that system. It makes it way more soloable and it adds a lot of narrative choice. And the way it branches and builds on itself is amazing. This game, at this point at least, doesn't have that. So I don't know if you're looking for like a story, like a comic book story uh, in a card game. This isn't going to be that, at least not yet. Hopefully in the future, but not yet. Uh, but if you're looking for a really cool card game that uses Marvel you know, characters, has you know, decent artwork, and just really thematic card play that really draws on each of those characters really well, then Marvel Champions, the card game, is... It's really solid. So I'm going to keep it. I'm going to get the next couple things that come out for it and stick with it as long as I can get it played. But for me, this is a buy. I didn't think I'd like it when it first announced, but I guess that was just the cynicism of the modern hobby and everything's a cash grab. Um, But yeah, this is fantastic. If you like Marvel and you like card games, this is a a no-brainer for you. Yeah, I'm really surprised to hear your change of heart on this as, as when this first came out. It didn't seem like you were a big fan of this, and for good reason. It looked like just another generic kind of paste on, you know, cash grab kind of situation based on generic Marvel characters. And that, and honestly, that's what it feels like a little bit for me. I'm I'm surprised that there's actually some depth here. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's for, like depth on two sides too. So like on the one end of things, you have mechanically and it's not even like a more complicated system if anything it's simplified like they've made it more accessible and easier to pick up like lord of the rings every year or so i have to kind of reread that rule book just to remember the different flow of things this game we had down like halfway through the first game and we didn't look at the rule book anymore it's very streamlined right like the resources are all in your hand the combat system is just very straightforward and back and forth that is not what a you know lord of the rings doesn't have that and that's a little crunchier and i could see why some people would prefer that i like this i'm not gonna say more but i definitely like this because it makes it easier just to enjoy the card play and to know that what you're doing is correct and that you're not breaking the rules on accident which is what happens when those games get too crunchy the other side of things is yeah is it just gonna be like hey here's the avengers from the movies and yay and you know here's villains you've never heard of or and it seems like there's going to be a little more depth to that. Like some of the allies that are in the decks, some of the villains, and especially some of the additional cards that you can put into the villain decks are a little bit deeper cuts that aren't in the movies, right? It might be things that you wouldn't necessarily recognize right away, unless you're a comic book reader. And I'm not going to spoil those because it's kind of fun to go through and see them, right? That is... I mean, I feel like they had to do that if they were going to make a game like this, but I wasn't confident that they would. I was worried we'd have a whole bunch of cards that just said punch on them. Don't think that's going to be the case. So it is like any LCG. Uh, I almost feel like I have to come back to this in a few months and like do an update review and say, yeah, is it still worth it? Because there's a big difference between is it worth it today and is it worth it in six months based on the support? But today, I, I think so. Like more so than a lot of these you know, out of the gate. I think this is really solid. 
So the game that I was able to get to the table this week is Trismegistus, the ultimate formula. Now, this is from our friend Daniel Cestini, and he had some help on this. And, you know, you, you probably know him from a good number of his other great games that are out there, Tetuacan, uh, you know, all of the other fantastic games as far as Euro games are concerned these days have been in large part due to some of his work out there. I know Council of Four is a game that we like quite a bit. If you go way back when Zulk in the Mayan Calendar is another great game, obviously the Voyages of Marco Polo and the new Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con is going to be coming out at some point. So I was really looking forward to this game, and obviously it does not fail as far as names are concerned, you know. So let's talk about the actual game itself, because the game itself, at least in the rule book and the initial playthrough, is as complicated as the name itself. So what are you doing in this game? Well, you know, it reminded me at least thematically in part as far as a being a very kind of close spiritual connection to potion explosion, because Basically, what you will be doing in this game is you will be utilizing alchemy to be able to construct all of these different fantastical potions. And and by completing these different potion contracts, you'll also obviously score victory points. But there's also a lot of secondary abilities that will come into play based upon any particular potion you're able to solve. Now, as you do this throughout the game... You'll also be unlocking other different components that will allow you to gain mastery in certain elemental fields. Because obviously, if it's going to be one of his games, it certainly is going to have a number of different tracks to it. So let's actually talk about what you'll be doing in the game. So as I mentioned, you'll be producing all of these different elemental formulas. Well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to have your own player board, and your player board will basically have a little bit of a supply chain to it. So you'll have these different elements, and what you'll be doing is you'll be collecting the elements uh, through an action point system. So at the beginning of the game, dice are rolled, they're placed down on the board, and that shows what elements are available in their kind of essence form. You will pick a die, that die will represent a particular element. It'll also represent a particular color. And both of those will come into play based upon the element. You'll be able to pick up, as I mentioned, the essence and the element throughout the game. And you'll also be able to pick from those different formulation cards in that area. The color die will allow you to transform or use alchemy to take your materials to the next level and you'll take a look at your board, and your board will show you where the black, the white, and the red die uh, activate. So, throughout the game, you'll be taking materials, you'll be transforming materials, you'll be picking up different essences to be able to do that transformation. You'll be running up the tracks, and the tracks are important too, because you have to have a certain level of mastery in a particular element in order to be able to meet the conditions of the formulas. Now, as I said, as you complete these formulas, these little tiles will pop on down. They almost reminded me of Ted Tawakin's, 
tiles that kind of built up the board. Same thing here. They'll flip over. They'll give you a special ability throughout the game. And as you're able to build up your tableau, more things will come into play. There are bonus contracts at the end. There are bonus potions at the end of the game that are worth a lot of points. And basically, that's pretty much the game. You'll select your dice. You will run them out. You'll take another die, run it out, take another die, run it out. And then that's the end of the round for you. This game is heavy, complex, and complicated pretty much because there's so much symbology in this game and it doesn't come with a player aid as far as all the different actions you can do. Now, there is a number of free actions. There's a number of actions you can take on your turn. You can even follow other people using a special ability that everyone has in the game. So throughout the game, it's like, I took my action. Which one did you take? Well, it was one of these five or six different actions. And then I took one of these five or six different free actions. And then you go around like, who would like to follow that die? Then everyone gets to take those actions. So it's a little clunky as far as all the different possibilities of things you can do, especially without the player guide. But as we got towards the end of the game, it did speed up quite a bit. And you're also able to pick up these different bonus tiles that will also come into play. So there is a lot of different layers in this game. That being said, despite the rulebook, despite the lack of player aids, which were really needed in this game, despite the endless number of actions and follows you can take, this is quite a good game. We all struggled with it. But at the end, we all really, really enjoyed this. So for Trismegistus, the fantastical ultimate formula and really interesting, funny name, because you clearly will never forget that. I'm going to give the game a buy. I was surprised myself. Again, it's going to be one of those situations where I'm going to have to come up with player aids. I'm going to have to come up with some sort of teaching to kind of walk people through the different steps. But once you do get the game, it does work quite well. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have this set up on my table right now because I just got it in like yesterday. And I was like, I got to learn this. And then I saw that you're reviewing it. I'm like, oh, no, he beat me. <laughs> um, but no. <laughs> well if you want i could teach you the game because i, I listened to numbers of videos and read the rule book <laughs> and still i was like yeah and why and and how and who and yeah yeah. i spent a lot of time yesterday reading the rule book and watching a couple videos to be like what does this even mean what are they trying to say here what is an essence you didn't even say what an essence is <laughs> oh that's what an essence is yeah i would from my limited experience learning the game i would agree 100 percent on everything you said about the rule book and the player aids because it is a pain in the butt to learn but now that i'm getting going with it now that i'm getting going with it it seems like it's gonna flow much smoother pretty soon like it's once you learn the things, the actual flow is relatively straightforward. Yeah, by the end of the game, we were kind of flying through the game. And there's also a solo element to the game, too, which they don't make 100% clear. So you're kind of unpacking the game and you're like, and where yeah. do these things go? And you have to kind of dig. It's like there's an extra, there's like a D6 or something in the game. And we're just like, what do we do with this? And we're like, I don't know. And I'm like, it's 
is it a solo element and like you know sometimes the thematic nature of the game kind of makes it really hard to learn the game because they do go a little bit overboard it almost should be like two rule books like the one for like dramatic appeal and one for just like stereo instructions like this is how you do the thing (laughs) instead of like oh you must transform using alchemy and the essences of the universe and just like oh man how do you just play the game man I just want to play yeah, the game there's a lot of words for things so, in this game yeah that's that's like that's always like my <laughs> kryptonite with a just, game book because you've all heard me review games i'll just be like the little white piece i don't know like i don't remember the names of this stuff that people make up and so when a game has a lot of names that they made up it's really difficult yeah especially the title definitely especially the title yeah <laughs> I feel like it's on purpose. He's like, I did Zulkin. I did Teotihuacan. It's got to be something crazy with a T. Especially with the expansion. So, yeah, no, no, I get it. All right, so that's everything that has hit our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about Eschenspiel, the hot games that just came out that fantastic convention And they've been talked about, they've been collected, they've been brought across the pond, and Anthony is going to take us through the hotness of that convention so you know what to take a look out for at your upcoming holiday sales. So what do you have for us, Anthony? All right, yeah, so like I said at the top of the show, I spent a bunch of time going through the BGG's Geek Buzz list, and Something like eight or 900 games are released every year at Essen. Obviously, we're not going to cover all of those. So what we're doing is about 15 or so games that we find interesting. There you go. That's your filter. So (laughs) that's the only way to do it. So again, a lot of stuff already came out here or just came out. Like Trismegistus was super hot over there, but also just released here in the States like five days ago. So that's not on the list, but obviously that was one of the hotter games. And The Magnificent I just talked about, so we're going to leave that one off. But there are a whole bunch of other games, and I'm going to run through them and just kind of give you a gist of what they are and why they're hot. And uh, yeah, you know the drill. So let's dive in. First on the list, we had Nova Luna. This is a new game from Pegasus Spiel and co-designed by Uwe Rosenberg, right? And Cornet von Morsel. And it is an abstract strategy tiling game that appears to be a family weight game. In fact... Pegasus is promoting it as a family weight game. So this was very hot. A lot of people checking it out and looking at it. Not a ton of information on it in advance. So it's hard to know, you know, exactly what you're getting into with this game or when it's coming to the States or if it is. Very pretty components in the box and this kind of unique uh, moon mechanic uh, and this round circular board that you're working with. So definitely something to keep an eye on there, especially if you like Uwe's lighter games, which seems to be, you know, a lot of what he's doing in the last few years. Uh, Next up here, not immediately clear if it was releasing there or not, but I'm putting it on here anyways, because even if people don't own it, it's still my number one most anticipated game right now. That's Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con. Lots of people got a chance to play this. Lots of buzz around the game. People who love the original Marco Polo, people I respect and know who love it, love this as well. So speaking of Tashini as well as Luciani, this is definitely going to be a big hit when it finally hits. the states over here next on the list crystal palace this is from fjordland spiel and then over here it's coming from capstone so that'll be on the way soon as well uh designed by karsted lauber and i believe i talked about this not too long ago on an acquisition disorder 
but it is a dice placement game where you determine the stats of the dice at the beginning of each round, uh, but you have to pay accordingly. So kind of similar to the Magnificent, honestly, in terms of you get you can do better stuff, but you got to pay for it. And thematically, it's about the World Fair in London, 1851. I always love these World Fair themed games. They just they get excuses to do all sorts of crazy cool stuff because that's what the World Fair was. So this one was hot and should be coming here soon because I think Capstone said they're shipping it in November. Uh, Expedition to Newdale. This is one of the two Alexander Pfister releases, big ones, and it's from Lookout Games. It is a big box version of Oh My Goods. So it adds a board and a whole bunch of other mechanics to try to build out a more complex and robust version of Oh My Goods because for a lot of people, the reason that game didn't work is because it was too short. Right as your engine gets going, it's over. So I'm really interested to see how this works because Oh My Goods is a great game that just has a few little issues because of its length but is also made much better by the campaign in the expansions. And this has a campaign. Uh, so it could be awesome. I'm <laughs> who knows. Uh, it's coming from asthma day at some point, cause it is lookout. And so we should see this next year at some point, excited to give it a go. Next on the list is Orleans stories. This is from Reiner Stockhausen, uh, designer of Orleans. And it is a campaign adventure style take on Orleans. So it has two stories in the box, the first kingdom and the king's favor, and they each kind of span multiple eras or I guess games is what you're going to play. Um, one's a bit shorter and kind of an introduction. One's much longer. But the idea is that throughout the course of each game, things will change and, you know, develop. And it, so I guess it's kind of like a legacy game, kind of like a campaign game. It's somewhere in between. They're calling it their own thing, a stories game, uh, because you presumably don't permanently alter anything in the game, but things maybe carry over. So I'm really interested to see how this works because Orleans is one of like, you know, modern classic uh, as, as a Euro game and probably the best still bag builder out there. And this is going to really tweak that uh, formula a little bit. So that'll be cool. Uh, Sanctum from Czech Games Edition uh, designed by Philip Nuduk. And it's, I don't know if it is that, but it certainly looks like Diablo, the board game. So it is kind of almost in the line of like their adrenaline. Uh, if you've ever played that, which is kind of a first person shooter as a Euro game. This is a hack and slash RPG as a Euro game. Uh, so a little bit less Euro, a little bit more dice rolling and push your luck, uh, it seems. But it is very uh, strong in terms of theme and how it puts everything out there artistically. So interested to see how it works if nothing else because adrenaline is one of those like unsung um, gems of a game that you don't see a whole lot underwater cities new discoveries was released uh, from delicious games and the rio grande versions coming over here pretty soon i think last year the original came out sometime in like january february we should probably expect the same thing uh, i talked about this a little bit before but you're going to get a few new cards. You're going to get some asymmetrical starting powers and you get new boards. So this is a hundred percent a buy for me. Day one already have it pre-ordered actually. So hopefully that comes out soon. Last bastion is the new version or re-implementation, I should say of ghost stories. So this is Antoine Bauza's classic, incredibly difficult co-op game and redone in a fantasy setting. 
Now, I love ghost stories and I love the theme. So this isn't something I'm going to pick up, but it's got the same artwork or the same artist doing the artwork. And it looks to be, you know, refined and kind of cleaned up in a few ways. So I will at least be interested to see how it works. Um, just because that's a, a system that I feel like is really strong, even for when it came out. And, you know, retheme it. Great. We'll see what else we can pull out of this. Uh, the other Alexander Fister game, and this was like the hotness, like at the top of the BGG hotness list for all through Essen, is Maracaibo. This is a game about trading in the Caribbean. And it, it people at first were comparing it a little bit to Great Western Trail. I don't know that it has as much in common with that as, as people are thinking, um, especially because the designers basically said it doesn't. But um, I can see where people are getting the, the idea. It's got like the end game bonuses, the hand management elements that tend to come in his biggest games uh, and kind of a little bit of a map mechanic in terms of where you move around and do things. It's bright, it's colorful, it looks really cool. I have a copy pre-ordered actually because I wanted those fancy coins that Capstone has. And I know it's coming out fairly soon. Um, should be shipping in like two to three weeks. So this is my probably most anticipated game after Essen of the ones I know I can get soon. So uh, I'll hopefully get a chance to play and let you guys know what I think here in the next month or so. Azul Summer Pavilion is the third version of Azul, and this has new shaped tiles. I, I don't I don't know a ton about the game other than that. I know people are generally liking it, and I've heard a couple people who've had a chance to play it say, you know, this is more Azul. It's good. It's a little bit longer than a typical Azul, but not so much longer that it's going to be untenable. So I look forward to playing this. I like Azul. I liked the stained glass even more and hopefully this one falls in there as well terra mara is the newest from quined games um has a whole bunch of designers associated with it including flamini Brasini, and virginia Gili. so very strong pedigree here in terms of like who's working on the game um it is about these villages that were founded in the bronze age in northern italy and kind of the process of living and developing and growing in that area it's a worker placement game but it seems to have a little bit of a wrinkle to it in terms of like complexity. You know, it's a little bit heavier uh, than your typical worker placement game. So I'm interested tentatively. I've, I've yet to really connect with a game with this theme for whatever reason, when you strip back too much of the elements of a Civ game, uh, it just doesn't quite work for me, but I'll keep trying because I do love them. Uh, Glenmore to the Chronicles. So this is from Matthias Kramer, and it was. This is actually a Kickstarter game, so I'm breaking my own rule a little bit here. But it is the sequel to Glenmore, which is a fantastic game that's generally been impossible to find for a very long time. Um, one of my favorite kind of uh, rondel style movements and tiling games that you could get. And this one adds a whole bunch of new mechanics to it and modules and different ways to play the game. And I'm pretty excited to give it a go. Hopefully, it hits regular distribution for those who didn't back the Kickstarter back in the day, but it's Glenmore is great. So even if you could just play regular Glenmore with the stuff in the box, perfect. I'm fine with that. Cooper Island. This is a new one from Andreas Odendahl and frosted games. And it's again coming here in the States from uh, capstone. 
And again, it's another, you know, exploration game taking place in the age of exploration where you're out on a big boat trying to colonize these different islands. It's got some worker placement elements to it. It's got kind of this funky looking modular looking board um, and you're building things up kind of three dimensionally on top of those pieces. So it has some cool looking stuff in terms of how the tile placement works. I don't know a ton about it and I do know at least one person who's pre-ordered it from Capstone. So I do look forward to giving us one a play in the not too distant future as well, just to see what all the buzz is about. All right. Brussels 1897 uh, designed by Etienne Esperman. And so this is about, well, I shouldn't say about, this is a card game based on Brussels 1893. It's another world's fair game, but Historically, I haven't liked 1893 very much, so I don't know what to think of this. Um, I didn't. I thought there were several issues with that game. It just didn't really work for me. So the card game version supposedly makes it a little more streamlined, and you know gives not quite as uh, sprawling in terms of the choices that you have as in 1893. I'll, I guess, see how it plays. Uh, it's not something that was on my list, but. I know it was pretty high in a lot of um, different lists from people coming out of the con. It's a Wonderful World. Uh, this was high on a lot of people's lists. Uh, designed by Frederic Girard. And it is difficult to actually know exactly what this game is. And I think it's just because it is like a civilization style game, which those games tend to just seem like they're about everything, right? So there is a draft uh, and you're building out a tableau of cards based on that draft. And it's kind of a science fiction take on that. So it's not like seven wonders style, but it is more of a um, set collection approach to, you know, tableau building based on these different types of cards that you're going to have. So if you look at the cards, they look a little race for the galaxy. They look a little seven wonders. I think it's probably somewhere on that spectrum um, in terms of complexity and length. And would, that would make sense why it's so high up here on the list is people are always down for that kind of game. Last but not least on the list is Aquatica. And this game, from what I've heard and seen, it's a relatively light, quick game. Uh, but it is by the team from Cosmodrome Games who did Smartphone Inc., which was probably my favorite game after Underwater Cities from last year's Essen. And still don't have a copy of that, but it is coming soon from that Kickstarter. But this one is a game in which you are trying to build up um, underwater kingdoms. So the aesthetic looks a little bit like Abyss, maybe not like to the same level of artwork, but in terms of like the color palette and the types of creatures and things you see on the cards, you're going to be trying to capture different locations, recruit characters, complete different goals to get victory points. It's fairly quick and like mechanically just looking through the rule book it doesn't look that complicated but that's not a bad thing it just seems like it's a much more streamlined straightforward game than their first one so there you have it that is 15 or so games from essen that have piqued our interest and we're looking forward to seeing them here in the hopefully not too distant future all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you a seat at the table
listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.